Welcome to Sunday School. Take your Bibles, go to Micah chapter 5, please. As we keep studying this prophecy from God through Micah to Israel. In particular, here in chapter 5, we are seeing what is to happen to Judah. Micah went to both houses. He's prophesying against Samaria and Jerusalem, both capital cities of both the houses of Israel. Certainly some application can be made to both, but it is primarily to Judah here. I want to begin by reading verses 10 through 15 of Micah chapter 5. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots. And I will cut off the cities out of thy land, and throw down all thy strongholds. And I will cut off thy witchcrafts out of thine hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee. And thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. And I will pluck up the groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities. And I will execute vengeance and anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Sunday school hour. I pray that you'd help us now. Open our understanding that we would understand the scriptures. Be with every class, every teacher. Lord, we pray that your will would be done throughout the building. And uh, draw us closer to Thee, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we started this set of verses last week, and we saw how in every verse, God says, I will, or will I. God, in every verse, says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to be at work. And three times we find God saying, I'm going to remove out of your midst. He's going to take something out. And so God here, as this remnant we saw in the previous verses, is going forth to start spreading the gospel. God is going to be doing a work within them because God says, I get the glory. I want all the credit. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And God has the right to do that. And so God is going to take things out. He wants them to trust in Him. But what happened? Things came into their life that crowded God out. Things came into their life that they began to trust in more than they were trusting in God. And so God says, I've got to go to work. I've got to cut some things out. I've got to remove some things from your midst. So God is going to take them into His operating room to get them to see how they should have been trusting in Him all along. And it's all these things listed here. God wants them to trust in Him alone. God wants us to trust in Him alone. God wasn't pleased when they looked to other things and put their confidence in those things above God. That kind of gets under God's skin, if you will. Amen. And God doesn't like that when His people are not putting their confidence in Him. And we ought not to look to other things to put our trust in. And so what God does to us is... He says, I've got to have this. I've got to cut this out. I've got to take this out of your midst. And so God begins surgery. He's going to say here that four times he's going to cut off in these set of verses. He says he's going to destroy, throw down, pluck up. God takes those things in our lives which are hindering us from thoroughly being right with him and he cuts them out. And no surgery is pleasant. Sometimes when something needs to be fixed that's broken, something's infected, got to be removed, 
um, all of this to improve our quality of life. It, it's, it's not pleasant. You know what God wants? He just wants to have a quality walk with you. And it's not pleasant. There's times where there's something that's infecting your life and God says, I've got to have it. If you want to have quality of life with me, I've got to have it. There's things that get broken. God says, I need to fix that. And so it's not pleasant, but it would be good if we would learn just to give ourselves to God. Say, Lord, you do with me as you see fit, but we're often hard-hearted and we're stiff-necked. Sometimes we need God to forcefully remove things from our lives. And so many times we go through trials and circumstances because God is trying to show us, I need this. We say, why do I keep going through this? could be God's trying to show you something. could be God's trying to show you, I need that. I need to cut that out of your life. Um, things that we need to learn to let go of. And just let God have his way. Let him cut as he sees fit. Maybe God's performing surgery on you today. Give yourself to the process. Give yourself to him. It'll yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God put Adam asleep, performed surgery on him. Got him a wife. Amen. God wants to conform you into the image of Christ. You've heard me say many times, he doesn't paint murals, but he chisels. He sculptures. He, he takes things away. He, and so you've got to let God conform you. In 1898, Cyrus S. Nussbaum, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He wrote the hymn, Let him have his way with thee. And in the chorus we sing this. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see t'was best for him to have his way with thee. And I hope you've learned that this morning. Uh, can, you say, can you say to God, not my will, but thine be done. That's how Jesus taught us to pray in the model prayer. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And this is when we start to grow as Christians, when we begin to learn to say to God, you do as you see fit. Here's my life, and you do with it as you want. Now back to our text here. God is going to perform surgery on Judah, and we saw last week in verse 10, the first thing God mentions is He's going to cut off their horses and their chariots. I believe this is talking about them putting their confidence, their trust into their military might. That was the weapon of choice, the horses and the chariots. And God says, I'm going I'm to cut off your horses. I'm going to destroy your chariots. I don't want you trusting in your own strength. When God delivered Israel, just recap, when God delivered Israel from Egypt, the Egyptian army pursued Israel upon horses and chariots. And hemmed them in there at the Red Sea and of course, you know, God made a way and He drowned them in, in the Red Sea. And God was teaching them a lesson. Don't trust in horses and chariots. When I'm on your side, there's always victory. And so God says, don't trust in those things. And He used that object lesson of the dead bodies of the army washing up on the seashore. God says, don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to that way. Remember we looked at those verses? Don't go back to that way. Don't go down there looking for help. Don't think you have to get horses and chariots, but trust me to deliver you. King David would later pin the words, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. But then came King Solomon. 
and he multiplied horses and chariots. There for a while, every generation was doing pretty good. You know, after Moses, Joshua did what was right. He hocked the horses. He got rid of the chariots. They were doing well during the wars of Canaan, not trusting in horses and chariots. But as time went on, and then David, he was doing good. He did keep some chariots for his getting around entourage. Okay. I don't know what they call it in the Bible, but, um, you know, his secret service details, amen. <laughs> and um, I don't know if they had, like, arrow-proof windows or what, but I think he kept 100, I think the Bible says. I don't know if he should have or shouldn't have. You know, I don't know. But you've heard the statement probably that what you do in moderation, your kids will do in excess. And I don't know if he should have or shouldn't have, but he did. And Solomon comes on the scene and he just starts to multiply these things. Later, the prophet Isaiah would say in Isaiah 31.1, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. That was the problem. Judah's trust in the strength of horses and chariots became their confidence and they stopped seeking the Lord. They stopped trusting in Him. This is the danger when we begin to trust in our own might. We start to think we've got it all together. And we start to trust in what we are able to do in our minds. And what it does is it causes us to stop seeking God. So God says in Micah 5.10, I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots. God was going to make it so their military strength and their military alliances couldn't deliver them. God was going to show them they had to place, that they had placed their trust in wrong things. And as Americans, we need to take heed. This was written for our admonition. God has blessed us to be the world's greatest military superpower. But we better not trust in our military to deliver us from the enemy. There's nothing wrong with a powerful military, amen? It is a blessing from God. That's why we have what we have. There's nothing wrong with that, but there is something wrong when that becomes the confidence of our trust. America has definitely stopped seeking the Lord as a whole. God may just bring an end to our military might as a result. May we turn back to God. And may God be merciful to us as a nation. Now, don't forget that all of this applies personally, even though there's a lot of national implication here. It applies personally. What are you placing your strength in? If it isn't in God, expect God to perform surgery on you and to cut out what He needs to get out of your life in order that you might trust Him. All right, let's move on to verse 11 today. And I will cut off the cities out of the land and throw down all thy strongholds. This is a continuation of the thought that we began in verse 10. Verse 10, horses and chariots, they're offensive in nature. But here in verse 11, the cities and the strongholds, they're defensive in nature when the enemy were to come against them. And this refers to them trusting in their walled cities to protect them when the enemy comes into the land. And just like there's nothing wrong with having a strong military, there's nothing wrong with having strong defenses. There's nothing wrong with being prepared offensively. There's nothing wrong with being prepared defensively. Um, Nothing inherently wrong with that. Like I said, as we go through this list, 
there's some things that they would trust in that are, that are okay. They just put them in the wrong place. Other things are just dead wrong. The idolatry that God mentions, the witchcraft. And so, you know, you may be sitting there, you may have something in your life, it's not necessarily wicked, but it has become elevated to where God has been pushed down, so to speak, and you've stopped putting your trust where it needs to be. When the children of Israel came out of Babylonian captivity, the first thing they did under Nehemiah was they built the wall. Nothing wrong with the wall. Nothing wrong with walled cities. It was a need in those days. God understood all this. But again, the problem is when we put our confidence in those things. We have to recognize that we only have a strong defense because of God's good hand upon us in the first place. That it wasn't us that got these things. And God warned them, when you, when you enter in the land and you start getting all these good things, you're going to be tempted to say, look at what we've done. And that's, that's the problem, I think, here in America. Many of you will remember how President Reagan's foreign policy foundation was peace through strength. Which, by the way, was also George Washington's policy. <laughs> in George Washington's fifth annual message to Congress during the 1793 State of the Union address, he said this, quote, There is a rank due to the United States among nations which will be withheld if not absolutely lost by the reputation of weakness. If we desire to avoid insult, we must be able to repel it. If we desire to secure peace, one of the most powerful instruments of our rising prosperity, it must be known that we are at all times ready for war. End quote. Now, both of these men were God-fearing men. They had a right perspective on where our trust is to lie ultimately, and that is to God. They understood that strength only comes about as a blessing from God. How much has times changed today? Just recently, we had our current president in June. He was talking about gun control. And he said, quote, those who say the blood of patriots, you know, and all that stuff about how we're going to have to move against the government. If you think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. Well, what is he saying? Clearly, President Biden feels that his trust is in the military. I don't have to worry about you little peons because, listen, you take up arms all you want. We got nuclear weapons. He doesn't understand how God is bigger than any nation's military. He has a concept of peace through strength, but he doesn't see how God is in it all. Like some of our previous presidents have. The day may come when God says, you may think you can trust in your military to preserve your peace, but I'm going to cut it off. And I'm going to show you where your trust should have been all along. So God said to Judah, I'll cut off the cities of the land, throw down all thy strongholds. Cities in those days, as you know, were protected by walls. Bigger the wall, the better. Amen. Uh, the walls were so large that in some cities you could drive the horses and chariots on top of the wall. People would live in the wall. I mean, we're talking these huge walls. Uh, they, they were fortified cities. That city that became walled and great became the stronghold for that area and the cities around that maybe hadn't built up to that strength yet. And as a result, people would look to the city as their trust so that when the Assyrians or when the Babylonians would come into the land, we have this walled city, we're protected, and that's where our trust is. 
But while in the wilderness, you're going to see a lot of parallels to what we talked about last week. While in the wilderness, Og, king of Bashan, came against Israel. God delivered them into Israel's hands. And in Deuteronomy 3, 4 and 5, listen to what Moses recounts. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we took not from them. Three score cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fenced with high walls, gates, and bars. Beside unwalled towns, a great many. Moses said, look, we took, what, 60 walled cities. No problem. We, we took them all. Listen. This was a once enslaved people that had no military background. (laughs) And yet God, because He was on their side, when Og came against them, they defeated them having no experience. Why? They trusted in God. And what was God teaching them? Trust in Me. Trust in Me. Don't trust your defenses, Israel, but trust me. I gave you victory over all of those nations, their their defenses. Now, remember that and trust in me. In Deuteronomy 28, God, He lays out how Israel can be blessed and how they can be cursed. It's very simple, really. If you keep God's law, you're blessed. If you reject it, you'll be cursed. Amen. That's the... That's the Brooks Cliff Notes of Deuteronomy 28. And, and then the warning was given in Deuteronomy 28, 49 through 52. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. And he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thine kind, or flocks of thy sheep until he have destroyed thee. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fenced walls come down wherein thou trustest throughout all thy land. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. See, God knew the day was going to come when they were going to be tempted to trust in their own strength, in their own defenses. And God says, look... If you're rejecting me over there in Deuteronomy 28, if you're rejecting me, if you're rejecting my law, this is what you can expect to happen. And because you will have put your trust in the cities, I'm going to show you that that's no trust at all. So he warns them, don't trust in your high and fenced walls. In Joshua's day, God would give Israel the object lesson of the city of Jericho. It was a walled city. It was thought to be impenetrable. God gave them this bizarre military plan. Walk around the city. (laughs) Could you imagine you military guys being in the, uh, the commander's call there? Strategic planning meeting and commander's like, all right, I need some ideas. You know what we ought to do? We ought to just fly around the city seven times. Sorry, I'm Air Force. Fly around the city seven times. For six days, we'll do that once. And then on the seventh day, I tell you what we ought to do is we ought to fly around the city seven times. And then we'll have all the army dudes there on the ground and then, and then they'll shout. And we'll have the uh, Marine band there and they'll play the trumpet. And we'll win. (laughs) It's such a bizarre military plan to me, amen. God says, well, this is what I want you to do. I mean, I want you to walk around the city for six days once and just be quiet. Amen. I mean, they must have kept the women at home. Um, (laughs) Boy, this is not going well. Amen. I thought the men would be like, yeah, preach it. Amen. 
Thank you, thank you. Just kidding, ladies. Good night. Um, I've seen men. They talk just as much as women. Then on the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times. Don't say anything. And then at the end of that, you're going to shout. The priests are going to blow the, the, the trumpet. You're going to shout. The walls are going to come down flat. Talk about trusting God. Well, they did. And somehow those great walls of Jericho fell down flat. And they went into the city and they took it. Joshua 6.20 says, So the people shouted when the, ple- <laughs> when the priest blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went in- up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. What was God showing Israel? Don't trust in walls. Don't put your confidence in cities. If I can break through Jericho, no problem. Don't think for a moment that you can reject me and the enemy can't take you out. So God was trying to teach them where to put their trust. God was letting them know, I can protect you without walls. Hang on to that thought. As time went by, God blessed Israel greatly. This is what we read in the days of King Asa. 2 Chronicles 14, 6 and 7. And he built fenced cities in Judah. For the land had rest, and he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities, and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him, and He hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And again, nothing wrong with that. They began to build these cities. They began to wall them and and bar them. And God had blessed Judah to be able to do that. But in time, when they would rebel against God, God would bring the Babylonians into the land. And they had no protection. They had put their trust in the wrong thing. The same thing had happened earlier to the house of Israel when the Assyrians came into the land. And so God was saying through the prophet Micah, If you are going to trust in your cities and in your strongholds, then I'm going to have no choice but to cut them off. I'm going to have to take that away from you if that's where you're putting your trust. The prophet Jeremiah lived to see the day when the Babylonians came in and they destroyed Judah. And he recorded it all in the book of Lamentations. And it opens up with this in Lamentations 1.1. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become a widow, she that was great among the nations and princes among the provinces? How has she become tributary? Lamentations 2.5. The Lord was an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He hath destroyed his strongholds and hath increased in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. Lamentations 2, 7 through 9. And the Lord hath cast off his altar. He hath abhorred his sanctuary. He hath given up into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of a solemn feast. The Lord hath purpose to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out a line. He hath not withdrawn his 
hand from destroying. Therefore He made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates are sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. How sad. How sad that a people that God said, I've given you the oracles. I've chosen you to show the nations around you that there's a God in heaven. And how sad that the day came that they began to put their trust in cities. God says, I've got to have it. Unfortunately, Jerusalem never learned the lesson after that. In A.D. 70, there would be another destruction when the Romans came in. When Jesus was born, Herod the Great ruled over Judah. He was known for his great building projects in history. He was a a great builder. He fortified Jerusalem greatly, including the Temple Mount area where he placed the Tower of Antonia. The Jews said to Jesus in John 2, 20, 40 in six years was this temple and building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? They came to trust in that temple above God. It became their idol. When the Romans came in, the Zealots had already began using the the temple as their military fortress. So God had it destroyed. Not one stone left upon another. The city leveled even with the ground with their children inside. Why? They rejected the Messiah. And you see, that's the danger in you thinking, I got this. And when you start to reject the Messiah, it's never going to end well. What was God wanting Israel to learn? Therefore, what, what is God wanting us to learn today? The bottom line is this. God wants to be our wall. Remember what I said earlier, having cities without walls? God wants to be our wall. Just as God by His power made a wall of water on each side of Israel as they went through the Red Sea and by His power put a wall of protection around them, God wanted them to trust in His power to protect them. God wants the same for His children today. God wants to destroy what you are trusting in so that He can be your defensed city. He wants to be your high tower. He wants to be your stronghold. He wants to be your wall. Isaiah 25, 12 through chapter 26 and verse 4. And the fortress of the high fort of thy walls shall he bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, even to the dust. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. How good is that? 
God says, I want to be your wall. Salvation will be your wall. Zechariah 2, 4 and 5. And he said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire about and will be the glory in the midst of her. God says, I got this. I'll be your wall. Nahum 1.7, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knoweth them that trust in Him. Psalm 62, 6-8, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation, my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. <laughs> this is good. Listen, this is where we should be taking laps. Amen. We're, we're excited right here. So, amen. <laughs> Whoop. Psalm 34, 7-8. through 8, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Do you see the connection? God says, I want to be your wall. I want to be your defense. I want to be your fortress. Trust in me. That's the common thing there. Trust in me. Is God your defense today? Do you trust Him alone? Has He become your salvation? Has His salvation become your walls? He wants to be your strong tower. He wants to be your fortress, but you must learn to trust in Him at all times. doesn't matter what's going on politically. doesn't matter what's going on medically. doesn't matter what's going on socially. God says, you trust in me at all times, and I'll be your wall. I don't know what that looks like for everybody. But do you trust Him? If you have something which is causing you not to trust in Him, then go ahead and mark it down and expect God to take you to the operating room. He's going to cut some things out. Anything you're placing above Him, He wants it. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Listen to this now. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Strongholds. Don't trust in your cities. Don't trust in your strongholds. We all got that besetting sin we trust in. Amen. Times get rough, we run to it. That's our, our, our release. God says, no. You need to run into my walls, into my city, into me. You need to have a right relationship with me. Pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God wants your stronghold cast down. He wants to be your stronghold. He wants those things that are hindering your walk with Him. Did you get up early and read your Bible? Did you pray before church? Listen, are you walking with God? God says, whatever it is that's hindering that, I want it. God wants it. 
I just don't have time to get up. God wants your time. Well, I feel like preaching at Sunday school. Amen. Let's just pump the brakes here. God wants your time. I don't know what your stronghold is. I know what mine is. God wants it. God wants that thing torn down. He wants it done with. He wants it ground into dust. He says, I can cast it down. But it's not through carnal means. And see, that's where we mess up. We try to fight this thing in our flesh. It'll never work. We've got to go to God. He can bring into captivity what needs to be brought into captivity. So he wants those things that are hindering our walk. And your stronghold is anything you're trusting in outside of trusting God. So is there a high thing in your life? As you look at your life, is there a high thing that's hindering your walk? A hobby? A career? Just plain selfish? Maybe you binge watch too much? You know, I don't know. Maybe you have a substance you run to. God wants that, and you need to let God deal with it. And I'm just encouraging this morning, would you allow God to go to work in your life? Allow Him to go into the operating room and say, I need to take this out. Don't fight the process. And I will cut off the cities of thy land and throw down all thy strongholds. Let's pray.